0: One number that I've long looked at like for a very long time is just simple internet adoption. If you look at the percentages, I think early 1995 it was 9% and then it jumped to 16% the next year. So to me, that is what I want to see in Bitcoin where like we can really say like, Ooh, this is a moment where we're really going mainstream and I think it's coming this cycle. And it doesn't mean we have complete saturation, but it does mean that the the S-curve starts to accelerate. Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show. The Bitcoin
1: Philosophy Show with Knut Holm and me, Luke Pseudofin. In today's episode, we're joined by Tour De Meester, Editor-in-Chief at Adamant Research and longtime Bitcoiner. In this in-person interview recorded at Baltic County Badger 2023, we explore a wide range of topics. We discuss the connection between Bitcoin and Austrian economics. We explore trends in Bitcoin adoption, and we consider Bitcoin's resiliency. We even cover how we can avoid the biggest long-term threat to Bitcoin. Stay tuned for that. But before we jump in, a quick reminder that the best way to support the show is to send us a boost or stream us some sats using a value for value podcasting app such as Fountain. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, check it out on Fountain. You can earn sats from listening and you can support us and all your other favorite shows. You can also support us on Geyser Fund or send sats directly to our lightning address freedom at And if you want to exchange your dirty fiat, you can support us on Patreon. All our links are in the description. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like the episode and subscribe to the channel. Even if you're listening as a podcast, head over to our YouTube channel and subscribe to us there. It would be a big help. And finally, we want to thank today's sponsors. Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill App, The Bitcoin Way, Zellox, and BitcoinBook.shop. We'll be talking a bit more about them later. And now, without further ado, here's De Meester on Freedom Footprint Show.
2: Welcome to the Freedom Footprint Show. We've, yeah. we've been... Uh eager to talk to you for a long time or? yeah like we've been talking about talking for quite some yeah, time and, and it's, it's so
0: nice when you can finally meet someone in person yeah, like to, yeah it just it's so much nicer than to do it over zoom yeah yeah
2: yeah, yeah. and uh yeah give us the the tldr on tour de Meester. who are you and uh what is your thing like uh, sure
0: yeah um i mean i grew up in belgium i um kind of was very undecided about what to do after after high school. I tried like a million things. I dropped out of university Um traveled. I, I lived in Norway for a year, all kinds of stuff. Um, eventually found um, some Austrian school ideas, like early on, like, uh, you know, human action from Mises and some other books that, and not just me, like several friends of mine, did you read human action at an early that actually age? actually my, my first exposure to oh, wow. Austrian economics. Yeah, it was, uh, was human action. We were, I mean, not that young. Like, you know, 20, maybe I was 22, 23 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to me, it was very profound to encounter that stuff because not only was it economic ideas that made sense, but like the first part of human action is just, you know, hardcore philosophy, and he basically just you know, wipes the floor with like relativism and a lot of things I had been struggling with, like like free will or like, you know, the the power of the group or like all these kind of ideas that are almost like subliminally passed on to you through public schooling. You know, they were, Mises was very, not only talking about them, but very decisively debunking a bunch of those things. And it was such a it was very emotional, like for me to like you yeah. know be exposed to that, and uh, and so from then on, I, I really that that became a big part of my life, like you know uh, economics, Austrian school,
2: philosophy. Yeah, the same thing mm-hmm. happened to me. Like I, I I couldn't let go of the book, and pe- people think it's a hard read, but I felt uh, I I think it flows very well, and yeah, I, I mean there are long sentences, but come on, <laughs> <laughs> and it's also it's so quotable, like it's yeah. so dense. I yeah. love that. There's yeah, no yeah. fluff. You can just like... No it's like 1800 pages of no fluff <laughs> so that's why i wrote the praxeology book to like yeah. squeeze those 1800 pages into 130 instead yeah. and like uh i don't know if i su- succeeded or not but i th- i i felt there was a Hole in the market there for a Yeah, because it is beginner's level, of course. Yeah.
0: And and Mises like he invents new worlds. I mean, yeah, yeah. clearly he he is German in his mother tongue. Yeah, I yeah, think He only moved to the US when he was sixty.
2: Yeah, years and old. he was friends with Ayn Rand uh, or mm. became friends over mm. there, and they have like a similar story. His life story is fascinating. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. yeah
0: uh, absolutely.
2: I mean, th- that whole rabbit hole is so th- to me. It felt like reading something like Newton or something, something very fundamental that was just missing from the entire school curricula. Like th- this is like, holy shit. Why haven't we talked about this? This is as important as, as mathematics, yeah. really. Yeah. But the, and I think it was Rob Breedlove who said in in a just a casual conversation that uh, praxeology is to the subjective what mathematics is to the objective. And I, of course, I use that in my book mm. because I think it's so uh, I think that's wow. puts the finger on what it is like. Uh, I think Mises
0: would be very happy with that because his brother was a mathematician, right? And so to mm. like to have that validation that people see his his thoroughness as uh, as being so solid that you can actually even compare it with something like mathematics.
2: Yeah, and yeah, because like mathematics is a priori too, in a sense, it mm. starts from a a set of irrefutable axioms, like. One plus one equals two because yep. we define two as one plus one, <laughs> yep. sort of. And uh, yeah, this a priori versus uh, a posteriori, or imp- logical deductive reasoning versus empiricism. I right. think that's so fascinating. There's so much there. Like, it, for me, it put the finger on why, like, why science, uh, empirical science, by itself, just isn't enough to understand the world like you need to understand incentives to understand anything right and, and
0: and and empirical science has a lot of presuppositions that are not talked yeah, yeah. about
2: that are actually a priori yeah right yeah and mm-hmm. also that it's never precise because the the map can mm-hmm. never be the territory whilst uh, a priori is precise and that's that's why it's limited but it's also why it's so well, more rigid i would say right but yeah
0: I'm i a, think there is only one it's hard to say if it's i would have to study it more to decide like is it really a gripe for me with mises it's just that i personally lean more aristotelian Mm -hmm. you know which is phenomenology and and you're looking at more things from from different angles yeah uh rather than the kantian framework feels a bit more like you know this 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 thing is on the board and then you kind of just reason within your mathematical proof so to speak and I think sometimes you lose aspects of reality. Like for example, the you know Mises, you know, being so emphatic that um, economics needs to be wertfrei, like free from value judgments. Yeah. I think he eventually you get stuck. Like it, it gets too limited if you cannot talk about fraud or theft or you know. And that's where yeah. Rothbard has a bit of a yeah. different take. But like as far as purely aesthetically or just purely as a as an experience, I. Prefer Mises over any of the yeah, other. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's incredible so to
2: read to read him. Did you read a Hopper book called uh, Economic Science and the Austrian
0: Method? I I think I've read parts of it because at some point because he's
2: this is method, methodology. It's a lot about methodology. Yeah, just yeah the I've read parts between. of it. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah a I, long time ago. But yeah, yeah. yeah, I I love that book. Uh, mm. That was also very dense. It's it's very much shorter than Human Action, but yeah, it, it talks a lot about methodology and like the differences and. How significant they are, and does
0: he uh, go into argumentation ethics there?
2: Uh, 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 Maybe if just I remember touches it, it. it touches on it, but argument, his argumentation sure. ethics, I think it's one of the most profound yeah. insults of the yeah. of the last century, and it's never talked about. And like, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's very under underappreciated. I agree. It's so
0: powerful. It's so powerful. Yeah. Um. And and I mean, who knows? In the future, we'll see some de- it would be great to have some debates about how how it started and where where um uh, where uh, argumentation ethics started because there i think they were independently kind of uncovered discovered uh both by Hoppe and then a little bit earlier frank van den it, but he wrote in dutch and so he had a whole uh the the fund- foundational principle of law yeah. which he basically makes the argument from argumentation um and so they really complement each other yeah, yeah. nicely. Uh, but I agree, it's so you know, th- it's so foundational. Although I think you know, if you're an Aristotelian, it's more like it's one proof. But I think you can find multiple proofs to kind of, kind of, you know, yeah. point at the same framework eventually.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah, and it's uh, tightly <laughs> connected to to philosophy, as you say. Like they're the tangent to one another. Uh, the, yeah. the, the way I see it. All right, so so if we take the, uh, the the deep hopium stuff about Bitcoin and that we will hyper Bitcoinize and it'll mm. take over everything, does that in your mind does that remove violence from the equation almost entirely? So that what we have is ar- left is argumentation and just conversation and well, peace, world peace. Is that where we're going?
0: Yeah, i i I'm afraid it's not enough. I, I really am of the camp that like. Even under a gold standard, you had enormously bloody wars and, you know, and and, and uh, a lot of a lot of issues. I think that, you know, there's a great opportunity here. Like, that's what I had in my talk about today. There's this great opportunity because uh, if you think about the principles that allow for peace in society, one of those principles, I think there are four, uh, according to Van Den and I follow him, there's four. One of them is the restriction of access, mm-hmm. you know, because if you have open access… If any kind of, there's no real property rights, right? If, if your stuff and mine, it's all fuzzy and that, then people live in this perennial uncertainty, anxiety, anything can be confiscated at any time. And the fiat regime is kind of like that because literally your bank account is just a free-for-all. You know, mm-hmm. they can take value from it whenever whenever they want, you know, banks or governments or whoever's, whoever can add to the money supply. And so Bitcoin... And, and of course, the Cypherpunk movement as a whole and, yeah. and encryption, all, all that technology allows you to restrict access, um, restrict the world from accessing your, what's yours, your property. And so it's a great engine for peace, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and it creates that certainty. So it's, it's a super important and foundational element, but I still think we need more than just that to, to really go towards um, a society where, yeah, I mean, Ideally, there is no war, right? No. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty.
2: What, what would that more be, though?
0: Yeah. So, so the other principles. One of the other two foundational principles uh, is is unity, which you could kind of dismiss because unity is the idea that if if uh, you know you are sitting there with two, you're both thirsty. There's only one bottle of water. How do we prevent conflict? Well, we make sure there's only one person sitting there. So, so like physically, how, how do you do that? How do you create one out of multiple people? And I, I do think there is something to be said for embracing the idea that you are part of something bigger. Like that's why we don't murder other people because we feel like we're part of humanity, right? It kind of it kind of elevates us uh, or like you know people have certain ethical standards because they feel like it's not just for me selfishly it's just because i want to be part of something bigger that that is that that means something and so that is like another that that sense of of unity to be to voluntarily which is important to voluntarily give up a little bit of your individual preferences to elevate the greater good i think is uh it's it sounds very corny but i think it's it's pretty pretty foundational cuz i cuz in a way like some of the goodwill is some of that goodwill is sometimes what people give up to invest in understanding bitcoin cuz they feel like oh maybe this is something that can make things better for everyone yeah um or or even if it's against it's my career i'm still going to have the intellectual honesty to just you know so that's just one one other uh, example, and then th- there's a few more, but they're they're more higher up, and it's more to do with like a having a healthy debating culture, for example, like free speech, and and uh, I think I don't think Bitcoin guarantees that. I think Bitcoin can facilitate some of it, but we still need to do the work.
2: But well, can Bitcoin culture do that then? Like, yeah. Is, is, oh yeah, yeah. But so, it's,
0: but it, but that's something that is alive, and that we also yeah, need. Yeah. It's like a garden; you need to
2: maintain it. Yeah, yeah. You know, but that's the thing. For for me, it's hard to make the distinction between the protocol, the money, the culture, like it's all part of the same organism in a way. And it, it's, I see it as, as like being just different aspects of the same phenomenon, which is just, oh, we found a way to communicate value with one another without third parties. And that's so profound. Like <laughs> that yeah. means, that means peace. Like, the way I put it in one of the books was like when you cannot put, uh, when you c- cannot know how much another person owns, which is true for everyone on earth right now, <laughs> since they might hold a, a, a private key in their heads mm-hmm. and you cannot take it by force, the best way to enrich yourself is by interacting peacefully and trading with that person. Right. And violence, the, the, uh, The shelling point for violence, if you will, or like the incentive to to aggress against another goes down drastically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, But what what I struggle with is like how drastically like uh, game theory sort of says that you get half of the Bitcoin if you like torture the guy. But uh, but but still, I think it's I think it's more than that because the the incentives to just be good to one another are. they get boosted as well. like uh, that that vector is very, very powerful mm. uh,
0: yeah. I mean, I, I I hear you. I think it's very significant. Uh, I, where I would hesitate is just, you know, maybe it depends on how long a time frame we're talking about here, yeah, but like yeah for example, when when the printing press was invented and and and, you know, gradually books became cheaper, like the price of a book went roughly from a year's labor, which is in the Middle Ages, to the price of a chicken. Like that's, that's how much drastically the information became cheaper in that one century. Um, you know, back then, imagine realizing like, oh my God, information has been locked up for centuries and centuries. All of a sudden, it's liberated. Everyone is gonna have access to these incredible ideas. They can make up their own opinion, you know. Uh, this is such a force for good. I would agree with that but at the same time over many generations some of the appreciation for how valuable it is to have like a plethora of ideas how important it is to have freedom of speech because i think a lot of the enlightenment thinkers were really trying to Come up with theoretical foundations for why freedom of speech is important because they it was a fact it was happening people were interacting more freely than before and so they needed new theories to try and justify that and so you know I think still the theory and I think they you know you could kind of debate on how successful the Enlightenment was in really elevating humanity and not throwing the baby away with the because there was some good yeah. things in the Middle Ages so yeah. so that's I think. You know, that's kind of our job is to start working on trying to really uh, treasure what's great about Bitcoin, help people understand what's great about Bitcoin so that the ethos of Bitcoin
2: can really spread and, yeah, yeah. and people
0: don't get confused in a couple of generations. There's hmm.
2: there's a section in a Rothbard book called The Ethics of Liberty about uh-huh. freedom of speech, which changed my mind on it because like he he points out that everyone forgets to ask like the the, there's a word missing are you are you pro freedom of speech well the the question should be freedom of uh, the counter question should be freedom of speech where and you realize that it's only in publicly owned spaces that freedom of speech is important because he he argues that freedom of speech is only necessary because property rights have been violated at some point because if i own my house i get to dictate the rules in my house but from natural law and ethics austrian ethics if you will uh so 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 he argues that freedom of speech is sort of a facade in the sense that it needs to be pre- preceded by, by a violation of property mm-hmm. rights uh i find that framework it very is. interesting wow so, yeah i like that a lot uh, and and you can think about a place like uh, Dubai or, or even Saudi Arabia, as compared to, you know, a, a European free speech maximalist place, uh, and and you could argue that yeah, sure, uh, freedom of speech is suppressed here in the uh, in Dubai to to a certain extent, but but the property rights are stronger. And which one is more important mm-hmm. because like in in Sweden, for instance, you don't have the same level of property rights, but you have freedom of speech, uh, which leads to people burning the Quran and uh, there's a big police escort for the guy burning it, and there's a big riot and the media is there and they're turning this into this big news event and like. What, what what's more important, like property rights or freedom of speech, or yep. is is that dichotomy real, or what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I think property rights are more foundational. I think property rights belong to um, the the layer of the restriction of access, and I think that is that is just more foundational. Um, and then that enables uh, the safety to engage in open debate to have yeah. all these differences and opinions because. If I know that you're going to respect my body, we get into argumentation ethics almost. Right? Yeah, yeah. If I know you're going to respect my bodily integrity, well, yeah. then I feel safe to say things. If I, if yeah. you're sitting in front of me and you're playing with your knife and yeah. I know you have a history of assault,
2: I'm going to be yeah, more yeah, careful. Yeah. What, what What's that quote? It's easier to get what you want with a kind word and a gun than with just a kind word. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, no, uh-huh. totally. Yeah. Yeah. But so yeah and so to me that that is also right. I mean had had Rothbard been around during the Enlightenment and kind of like you know whip some sense into metaphorically in, into uh, the philosophy of the day maybe there would have been a stronger foundation yeah. for for freedom of speech or, or just thinking about uh, intellectual expression um, than we have now. I, I think I think this is a
1: really interesting line here when we when we tie it into the Bitcoin of it all, right? Uh, I I think the the line between all we're talking about here the the argumentation ethics Austrian economics and all this to, uh, what, so this was the first thing that you brought brought up basically like you found this stuff before mm-hmm. Bitcoin, oh yeah right yeah, yeah. and so mm. and so how did that influence your journey into Bitcoin and and how
0: you uh, found it and and how it impacts your life yeah <clears throat> so. Austrian economics, like we started the Rothbard Institute in Belgium, we translated some books, organized seminars, things like that. And uh, I I started to look for ways to to use this somehow, I mean, I, I, I made a little tiny bit of money translating, so that, that kind of helps. Actually, you might know this book, uh, Money, Bank Credit and Economic Cycles by De Soto.
2: Yeah, yeah, I yeah, heard about it. I, I, I translated read it. that to Dutch. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! What, what, what's that title in Dutch? Oof, I
0: spent nine months doing that. Sorry, what's the title in Dutch? Geld, uh, credit, and crisis. Yeah, and it's it, 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 yeah, it yeah. appeared in a very low volume, but it's still out there. Um, the footnotes are just enormous. It was really hard. And actually, uh, Kun Swinkels, another uh, Bitcoiner, uh, helped me translate it. Um, but so yeah, that was that was uh, work that I did. Um, and then uh, with the Rothbard Institute, uh, yeah, we just wanted to connect with other communities in Europe. Um, and so I remember, for example, going to the Libertarian Alliance conference in London, t- 2009. Sean Gab organized that, and uh, they had um, um, David Friedman. He spoke about uh, anonymous eCash and assassination markets, which is very. I mean weirdly I just listened to it as a theoretical thing and then only thought about it much later but I do think that like had a little bit of a seed for me and then also I I needed to start some kind of a career because I was involved with little private schools and I was like man if if I ever want to send my kids to a school like this I need to find a way to make money like I you know I need to be able to pay for tuition and things like that so i was like all right how do i make a career and uh, i started writing about the markets because the the things started rumbling by 2006-7 and in in the in the u.s markets Mm -hmm. and so i started writing about the crisis the economic crisis and uh, eventually uh in 2010 a publisher found me and he's like hey you know you want to make your job out of this i was doing it for free and and uh, he basically offered me uh, an opportunity to become an author of a a financial, an investment newsletter. So that's what I started doing. That became my career. And so then, because I was, you know, I had some history background of banking and finance and and this Austrian stuff. And so I was really thinking about how to find investments that will keep you safe during a banking crisis or during a a very high inflation because I was worried about the euro or, you know, scenarios like that. So I traveled to Latin America to learn more about how people people survive inflation in general and um and so then you know in Argentina I learned about bitcoin uh, friends of mine were mining bitcoin in, in their basement literally in 2011 and um uh, I'm trying to think there was there was some other touch points with bitcoin early on uh well I I guess uh, yeah I was just looking for that golds I was into the gold world and investing uh, uh, investigating mining companies and and so it made sense. I had been, you know, downloading, I don't know, like self-help books with BitTorrent and movies and stuff like that. And so the idea of like a BitTorrent for money, it kind of yeah, made yeah. sense, you know, so. And when, so was, that, that, when that was, that was this? start? I first learned about Bitcoin in like, uh, I don't know, I think April 2011 or something. Yeah, pretty oh. early. Yeah, very early actually. And, and, uh, and I had the time to just research it and then by early 2012, I... I went uh, I, I wrote about it for my subscribers uh, and actually recommended it also as an investment and then I went to a Bitcoin conference in London in 2012 as well and then and then I started making some connections in in the bitcoin world and, and you mm. so it clicked easily for you like it clicked fast like I was just lucky I was so lucky that I had you know some of the austrian background like yeah. you know and that also I ran into, I, I reached out to Peter Böhle, core developer who was living in Leuven at the time, like he's a Belgian. And I had like a long uh, Skype call with him and which I transcribed into an interview for my readers. And and then of course my friends in in Argentina, like they really were really into Bitcoin. They really, and they also knew their Austrian economics. So it just, it
2: just really helped to solidify things. Yeah. So. Uh, Argentina, like there's a Bitcoin scene there now, yeah. yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know how big it is, but uh, but it's still kind of small as far as I understand, yeah. And why do you think that is when it's been around for so long? Like, why, why yeah. doesn't it take off in a place like that where it's because people always tell me that it's easy to um, uh, orange build people who have lived through hyper Bitcoin, and I've seen it firsthand, I mean, <laughs> uh, so um. So why do you think that is? Why why is the community not larger? I
0: think there's two two things I'm thinking of. One is just Bitcoin is just incredibly volatile and so for a lot of Argentinians you just you just save in dollars. You save in I remember back in the day the number was like 50 billion dollars in paper money circulating in Argentina. I think it's now tripled that or more. And so, yeah, if you want to buy a house, you just you know just a suitcase with dollar bills. Like so, so in a way, they are on a dollar standard in 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 many practical you know sense of the word. And so, Bitcoin cycles are so long; it is you know re- if you don't have a lot of savings, it's really risky to be very exposed to it uh, for for you know more than like a couple months. So I think that's one reason. I think the other reason may be that there there could actually be more adoption, but there's not a lot of showing. You know, like, for example, in Belgium, I talked to some people and I'm surprised. It's like, man, there's actually quite a lot of adoption, Yeah. but people keep quiet because yeah. they don't want to be seen as being rich or, no. you know, and so I think, especially in countries with high inflation, you just don't want to become a, a target. So I, I think it could be under, it, there is $500 billion worth of value yeah. around the world somewhere and, um Yeah, I don't know. So I don't know if it's necessarily lower than in other countries. I do think the level of education and the level of of like um, tech, you know, if a country is very tech savvy, you do tend to see more Bitcoin adoption, I think. Yeah. So how
1: are you enjoying this episode so far? Before we dive back in, first a little bit about our sponsors. First up, Wasabi Wallet, the privacy by default, open source, non-custodial Bitcoin wallet with CoinJoin built in. It's the easy-to-use, comprehensive, affordable way to make your coins private. And the best part is, they've been making huge improvements to the app. They're really focusing on the user experience, adding advanced features for power users, they just keep getting better. You send your coins to your Wasabi wallet, and they get combined with loads of other coins using the Wabisabi protocol, so they're private on the other end. Your tracks are covered, so you can work on expanding your freedom footprint without worrying about your privacy. So check out wasabiwallet.io and download Wasabi today. Next up, OrangePill app, the Bitcoin social layer app for iOS and Android where you can stack friends who stack sats. You can connect with your favorite Bitcoiners on the app, make local connections, and even connect with Bitcoiners around the world. And a big feature on OrangePill app is events. You can see what's going on in your area and connect with Bitcoiners around you. I've been to multiple OrangePill app events and they brought Bitcoiners together from all over. The best part is, you know it's high signal. There's no spam on OrangePill app because everyone pays to be there. It's just $3 a month. So download OrangePill app on Apple or Android and get connected to the Bitcoin's social layer. Next up, our new sponsor, The Bitcoin Way. Their mission is to onboard, educate and remove barriers to taking self-custody of your Bitcoin. They cover everything from cold wallets to nodes, no KYC Bitcoin purchases, inheritance planning, payments and more. Whether you're new to Bitcoin or you're an experienced Bitcoiner looking to expand your freedom footprint, or you know someone who this sounds perfect for, The Bitcoin Way has something for you. They have a skilled team, well-versed in the Bitcoin space, and their goal is to make all the complexities of Bitcoin as straightforward as possible for everyone. And the best part is you can get started with a free 30-minute call with their team. Go to thebitcoinway.com contact for more info. All right, back to it. Don't forget to like, subscribe and brush your teeth.
2: We we, uh, Mm -hmm. we recently found out a number, uh, talking to Christian Ander, the the founder of the BTCX, the the oldest Swedish exchange. Yeah. And he's had around 300,000 customers over the years. Is this all Swedish? Uh, Almost all Swedish. Yeah, wow. So, so, and if you add the other big exchange there and the fact that people buy from others and accept Bitcoin and buy from, you know, Kraken or whatever, Coinbase, we sort of estimated that there might be a, a half a million people owning Bitcoin in the country. Which and that's is, a
0: ten million population.
2: Yeah, so it's it's five percent of the population. Yeah, and then you realize that all of these people can pay other people in Bitcoin, and a hundred percent of the population can receive it <laughs> within a minute. Yeah, uh, by just installing something on their phone, like yeah, and all of a sudden, Bitcoin Standard doesn't sound so crazy anymore. No, so so so, and the way uh, yeah, my experience like traveling to all these conferences around the world and seeing the communities and meetups and stuff, it's that it, it's sort of small everywhere, but it's literally everywhere. Yes, yeah. <laughs> in every uh, yeah. one horse town yeah. in every country, there's a Bitcoiner somewhere, and like the, this. So, so yeah. I feel this like undercurrent. It's it's just waiting to explode. Uh, Then again, it has felt that for quite some time. So like, well, what's your view on that? Like, is is that an accurate representation?
0: I think so. Yeah. Do you think there is Bitcoiners in like North Korea or the Vatican or both?
2: Oh, that's, that's hard to tell. I mean, yeah. The, uh, yeah, in North Korea, I yeah, definitely. I would think so. Yeah. Uh, the Vatican is uh, significantly smaller. Yeah, I mean, there's not and a lot of people actually living they're, they're, there, they're right? They're quite conservative there, <laughs> I <right here. laughs> really yeah. oh. That's the <laughs> so, first thing I hear so about So I don't know. Uh,
1: <laughs> Very tied up in the fiat system as well, I believe. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> their, their own version of it. Mm, I mean,
2: they, I mean, in terms of portfolio, uh, they have a lot of art. They have some gold. Like they have yeah, real yeah. estate. Like I, I mean, don't trust verify. It doesn't sound like a like, like a mantra that's, that's Although, compatible with the Vatican. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like the, the Catholic tradition, you know, the the
0: the Scholastics, like Aquinas, they believe like through through reason you could you can reason your way. You cannot through reason know everything about god but you can at least prove that he exists and and you know discover parts yeah. of his nature so well there's a, a you know i'm not convinced mean that, <laughs> doesn't mean that there's still you know but i mean you know there's at least there's at least a, a pathway yeah right? yeah for for yeah. reason
2: for sure so <laughs> uh, but I, I forgot your question i'm sorry uh, I don't even know if there was a question it, it, in there.
1: It was it was uh the, the situation I guess on hyper bitcoinization generally, since we're we're maybe at some kind of inflection point. Mm-hmm. Maybe in terms of the number of people who now have have had or used Bitcoin, it doesn't take long to I mean, maybe we're in a bacon number situation, if that makes sense. Like the, the number of people who are who know a Bitcoiner. Is almost getting to all the people, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, oh, what, yeah. so, what do you think about that situation?
0: Yeah, I mean, one number that I've long looked at, like for a very long time, is um, is just simple internet adoption, like uh, the, yeah. the, that trend. Um, you know, you you, you also remember in 1995 yeah, being yeah. such an important point in time where all of a sudden it went from how do you do this, what is the internet, to like, okay, here's a box, you you press the button. And we are online. Like that was the Windows 95 moment. Like all of a sudden it came together. And uh, and and if you look at the percentages, adoption went from 9% in 1994, I believe, or maybe it was 1995. No, I think early 1995 it was 9%. And then it jumped to 16% in the next yeah, yeah. year. So to me that is what i want to see in bitcoin where like we can really say like ooh this is a moment where yeah, yeah. we're really going mainstream and i think it's coming this cycle yeah. i really do believe that I, and I, it doesn't mean we have complete saturation but it does mean that the the s curve starts to
2: accelerate yeah 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 i i um uh, remember 95 and 96 vividly and what i was doing and like seeing the potential of the internet like uh, guys have you seen this thing like and so many people like not getting it or like not seeing that yeah and for for me that was that experience when when i discovered bitcoin it was like i see this now this this is 1995 yeah i should be in this i should be doing this i should be acting on it because at the time in 95 i decided to like not go into i also felt like i knew a secret but i didn't know
0: i i mean i was maybe a little bit younger i was i think i was like Fourteen or fifteen when nineteen ninety five happened.
2: Yeah, it would be. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I think you were a couple of years younger than me. Well,
0: and also I, I only had my first own my own computer when I was like twenty years old or something. Oh, so I, in a way, I always felt like my friends were far ahead of me because they had that access. Like Peter Verlo told me, he started programming at age ten.
2: Yeah, so so uh, yeah. did I, but I gave it up for a long time. Oh, so, I so like yeah, uh, yeah. I had a Commodore sixty four, if that counts. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't really count that. But but it certainly gave me a a basic like understanding a what of, of what a computer is, and oh, what it right. can and cannot do. And one thing it couldn't do was, you know, keep a secret or uh, or make something uncopyable. Yeah. So that's that's the aha moment for me with Bitcoin. Like holy shit! Yeah. Something and, and that, that cannot be copied. Like, that was that was
0: my big point of doubt when I first learned about yeah, yeah. it. I was like, "Wait a minute, how do you actually create? like?" I was suspicious. Yeah, yeah. How do you actually do this? Yeah. So and that that's where talking to the engineers was like, okay, like there yeah. is actually they thought about this,
2: and mm. uh, so for me the the denial of the SegWit 2x hard fork was a, a, a an important point because that's when I realized that. Holy shit, this really, really works. That like that's the evidence I needed for for this to be like full blown, one hundred percent this is the thing yeah, yeah to fight for. This is the hill yeah. to die on.
0: Like And then that was why I think the year twenty fifteen was so different from twenty seventeen. Yeah. Because the year twenty fifteen there was so much doubt about like, but what if we get an attack? Are yeah, we yeah. gonna survive? And and then twenty seventeen we're like, man, like we yeah, can yeah, do this. We got this.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, mm. so have you seen something similar, similar in anything else to, to something similar to the SegWit2x hard fork denial, <laughs> like that kind of proof of resilience in in, in literally anywhere else in the world? Yeah, uh, not uh, well. I haven't seen it in shitcoins, and I don't think you have either. But but mm. in in any, can you? That's a good question. Uh, that's a really good question. I was actually
0: just listening to a podcast that. <laughs> about a guy who was a big big uh lsd dealer in the 70s and he even sold like lsd to uh, steve jobs and like you know uh-huh. And he, he was talking about how they would have 50 gallon jars full of lsd uh pills like just enormous just oceans of this stuff was <laughs> made and the the shelf life was about five years and he remembered they were talking about it and like thinking like five years is forever. And so their plan was, they thought, and, and he said later, I, I believe I was wrong, but they basically thought that using this chemical, they could make everybody become peaceful, right? That, that was the hippie idea. And that's why there's this story of, um, um, they were going to lace, um, Nixon's coffee, like they were gonna like mm-hmm. slip some LSD in there. But so he's saying like, that was our plan. Like we would just kind of, you know, LSD pill the world. We had so much supply, we could just do this. And, uh, and then he said, yeah, eventually I, I discovered that if someone who's in a certain kind of mindset, they just won't change. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it, they will have this experience of near death or ego death, and then they will just kind of still say the same, um, but so anyway. I'm just thinking out loud, you know, like, is there maybe maybe a parallel to where, like, you know, that experience that we had was so important that we, we think, like, oh, now we're good, right? Whereas, like, in the 70s, like, we created all this LSD, like, we're winning. Like, that's what yeah. they thought. And so I'm not saying that it, there's exact parallels here, but it's, like, it's kind of the avenue where I would I would want to think about, like, you know, are we that safe? and I, and i I just keep going back to trying to double check all the math, right? Do really trying to like which I'm sure we are all doing, right? If you're in Bitcoin, you're like, am I having survivor bias? Like do I yeah, feel yeah. like I'm invincible because I survived ten years, or is this really as sustainable as I hope it is? Yeah, yeah,
2: and the, the, like that LSD parallel and the, especially the ego death parallel, like, the way I I view that is uh, like s- since all Bitcoin, all owning Bitcoin is is keeping a secret. So like the the first thought I had was, holy shit! If you re- if you memorize your seed phrase, you are your bitcoins. If if that seed phrase is nowhere else. But then when you think deeper about that, like uh, all seed, all, everything that unlocking a bitcoin is is like someone keeping a secret so even if you have the seed phrase written down if the attacker doesn't know what he's looking for there's no way he knows like it's just words or it's just numbers or it's just ones and zeros and whatever so so viewed through that lens all bitcoins exist within people's heads and also the all the nodes and all the miners the they're not really the machines they're the people who decide to take the deliberate action of r- firing them up and running them, um, b- because they re- require a human being to do that. They, they. Yeah. they del- so it's it's backed by human action and not energy in that sense. And yeah. and and uh, a computer, a miner, and uh, Luke is laughing because he's heard this a quadrillion times. But uh, a, a miner, uh, all it does is guess a number and uh, do. Mathematics. Uh, so so it's, a computer is just a fancy abacus that helps our it's an extension of our minds. So it is us. It's it's nothing but us. So so the entire network is us. And I, I I this is how I see that it connects people on this this profound level, like because we are the same entity now. So so that might be the like ego death LSD sort of <laughs> thing right like do you think, think there's something like to we're happen? all part of something bigger right i mean yeah, we yeah. are
0: kind of this is a new way to connect right yeah. it's, it's a way that didn't exist a more profound yeah. way to. i think that's i like that i think that's that's very true um i like that a lot yeah
2: uh, and also when you take into consideration the lowered time preference so we you know to a larger extent uh, value quality over quantity and all this and saving and stuff and we're also all we, we all want Bitcoin to succeed, so we're incentivized to help other Bitcoiners. Yeah. So we're just we, and you, I experience this every day in this space that people are just awesome to one another. Yep. Like there's there's no there's no resistance to the, the resistance is futile in a sense. And, so yeah, there, we, there's we, this virtual side of um,
0: uh, what do you call it now? Virtual. Um, virtuous cycle yeah 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 exactly yeah and at the the same time maybe that's where i'm coming from is that i think that in order to maintain the where we're you know we're we're doing good but in order to maintain things we need that productive paranoia i think where you you have some vigilance of like hey you know you know things things are not guaranteed yeah, to go no, no, great no no, no. cuz then you you can get into dogmatism and you can get into routine and then you get sloppy yeah. and then what if we start oh maybe it's not that important to always remember your secrets or, yeah, or yeah, you yeah. know you know so and then people start custodying with a centralized yeah. custodian yeah, yeah. and you know so so the vigilance i think is important
2: the, yeah but the, the way i see it it's the vigilance that enables the trust between people so yeah. ironically enough the don't trust verify attitude of yeah. the hardcore core of this thing yeah. is enabling people on the outer layers to trust one another more <laughs> yeah absolutely and, and that's so weird because it's like it's counterintuitive kind of yeah, yeah yeah it is
0: yeah and i i think i touched on a, a, a very related topic when today in my presentation i talked about um, this is one of the other kind of foundational principles of order is that continuum between um, diversity and consensus so where diversity means you're just not only do you disagree but you're entrenched in your disagreement and you start boycotting the other yeah. or you start attacking them and then Consensus is actually a situation where it doesn't mean you have to agree on the topics, but um mm, there is a healthy debating culture. Like the like the the, yeah. the, the Greeks, like the ancient Greeks. We like, agree to disagree. Yes. Yeah. And so because that that becomes the peaceful situation. Stalemate is fine. And we, yeah. we in Bitcoin we have to explain this all all the time. People are like, yes, but my Bitcoin improvement proposal, it's it's important and it's urgent, and we need to do it now. Yeah. And then we say, I don't know. Maybe not. Let's just wait. And then yeah. they're like, but, but, but. And so, even though there is this heated debate, there's no violence. No. There's no coercion. No. Like so, it's totally. It's it's a very important overlooked thing yeah. in game theory. People think like either you agree. Or you disagree, but you can also agree to disagree, mm. and uh, and so it's such an important
2: engine for peace. I think it's argumentation ethics. Yeah, agreeing yeah, to disagree. Exactly. That's that's the basis of yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't in, think in of that you, right? yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> we just reinvented argumentation. Yeah, yeah, ethics. yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: and and by the way, I don't think you ever have actually said the the phrase that Bitcoin is backed by human action. I don't yeah. think you've actually. actually I think said I that.
2: think I've said that in a talk or something.
1: No, I'm yeah, not, yeah. not on the, the pod though. I don't remember you saying okay, that while okay. I was listening. So that, mm-hmm. that's what I was actually yeah. uh, smiling about. I, I uh-huh. think, I, I think <laughs> that's a really, good, a really good way of framing it, right? Yep. That, that you have to have the human actions that, that 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 trigger all of the things that make Bitcoin. I think that's really important. And of
2: course, like human action requires energy. Like we are energy consuming creatures. So, so in that sense, it's backed by energy, but more by the energy you've in our foods, right? Right. than the ele- electricity in the miners. In that sense, you know, and it's very synergistic.
0: Like how uh, I don't know. Like we live synergistically with fire, for example. Like yeah. have been for for you know millions of years. Or and 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 there's so many things uh, that we maybe take for granted, but that are actually not technically physically in our bodies. That are in the outside world, yeah. but that are so intertwined with with our society and our lives. Um, you know sources of water we're drinking water like yeah, in a yeah. way we live in synergy with water and yeah. so i think similarly yeah we 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 live in synergy with bitcoin wonderful phrase here and uh, now i kind of want to come come to a different
1: point here uh, you, the panel that you that you had actually just now that, uh, yeah, that we yeah. went to right after it, it had the provocatively bullish uh, when when 100k basically uh, but i, I want to do do you see any threats to bitcoin like what would be the biggest threat to bitcoin that you that you can think of right now
0: yeah, I I I really tried to go over that in my last report because I, I think it is always at the end of a bear market, people have a long list of like, here are all the bad things that are going to happen to Bitcoin. And so I wanted to take it seriously and go over, you know, go over some of the worst scenarios and, 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 and because that's ultimately what happens is that when you go into a bull market, um, slowly the worries are debunked like you start to realize like oh well we don't actually don't need to worry about that but what about this and then you get the wall of worry where you get the the sell-offs and and eventually in the long run it's just all a big uptrend but in the moment you're like oh no we're going back to where we started or or lower um so so in terms of biggest threats to bitcoin i think i think binance going bust is a pretty big one um as as a, as a potential scenario by, by, long term. No, no, no. Oh, sorry. You mean long term? I thought uh, I meant for no, this but, uh, cycle. oh, I definitely meant long term. Oh, yeah. I see. I sorry,
2: see. because yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think long term, it's a necessity. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. creative <laughs> destruction, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the uh, uh,
2: the the great shitcoin purge. Yeah, like no, that's absolutely. continuously yeah. happening.
0: Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, we're totally on the same page. I, I long term, the biggest threats. I mean, it, it's like in line with what you're saying, right? If Bitcoin is backed by human action, then complacency yeah. is the biggest yeah, yeah. risk. Right? Where we like, forget yeah. about the values. <laughs> yeah, uh, forget about what what standards we have to hold up. For example, if if all of us forgot how to. How electricity works. Literally, okay. like, all humanity had amnesia. We don't. We forget how electricity works. That sort of happened there in Europe.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. I mean yeah. Right. I
0: mean so then then the infrastructure would start to crumble. Like mm-hmm. the machines don't work on their own. We need to understand exactly. It. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, to me, that's that's always been the biggest uh, the biggest one. All right, I'm gonna go uh, down one of my
1: little rabbit holes for a second. Mm, yeah, Can, yeah. And Knut smiling sure. because I I, I I do this every <laughs> once in a while. Here come the
2: Vikings. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. no, not this time. The Egyptians.
1: <laughs> so 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 I I am a, a big fan of the idea that that uh, there there was a civilization uh, long before civilization theoretically was like. Um, Eleven thousand six hundred years ago, Younger Dryas uh, impact hypothesis that a comet came down and basically ended something in civilization. That there's plenty of evidence for that, and the the result and and all my uh, the the source I'll give here briefly sure. is is Graham Hancock, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the the fingerprints of the gods, uh, magicians of the gods, American before, great books to to check out on this topic. But the the point, the thrust also of it,
0: now on Netflix, right? Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Ancient Apocalypse, yeah, yeah, very good. So, so, so the the point though is that uh, his point is that we are a society with amnesia that that we this actually happened mm-hmm. to us that uh, that the the we don't know necessarily what what this society was capable of, but we have some evidence of it and the, these massive monuments such as the pyramids and and other uh, other things that we're starting to find that are vastly old. Uh, these are the the bits of evidence, and it's not to say aliens did stuff like that. It's to say humanity was capable of of extraordinary things, and so this is just to bring it back to the complacency yeah. point. Yeah,
0: so, yeah, it's so interesting, you know. And, and uh, this is related to to your general point. I just read, and I don't know how credible it is, but apparently there's new a new research paper coming out arguing. Based on just DNA evidence of human beings, that and this is a longer time frame, but that about 800,000 years ago, the the, the human uh, population pool shrank to about 1,200 individuals oh. and it stayed there for like 100,000 years insane, right? And so, like, so, can so we all inbred? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, and uh, yeah, who knows how we got out of there? Um, but also, uh, how much amnesia must they have had? Like, imagine if yeah, humanity yeah. shrank to a thousand. There's only so much information you can hold and so yeah i i i like the you know younger Dry's impact type, a little i mean amateur as i am about this stuff um I, to me the most compelling is the i i like watching the ancient architects channel on youtube the the british guy i think he's british um, and uh, just you know, so, uh, I forget. There's also this Australian researcher who often travels to uh, Egypt. Uncharted
1: X. Uh, I forget his name actually, but yeah, 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 yeah
0: that guy. Yeah. You know, I think it's really compelling when when he talks about. How this stuff was actually made, like not you know lifting these enormous stones inside the pyramids, uh, and then like how how this uh, what is it alabaster how how all that is carved with this incredible precision, um, and and then these like uh, these simple bowls that they find right and 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 you try and you you analyze and it's incredibly symmetrical and it has not only is it like symmetrical but then it has perfect handles on them, and this is in like a very brittle extremely hard material like basically stuff they cannot replicate today like to me that's already evidence of amnesia right if we we find something we can't replicate well, we must have forgotten you know and then i mean there's also the more like mainstream accepted stories of like oh the greeks they had uh, i think it's the maybe the romans they invented like the steam engine and then they just shelved it and you know so i think it happens like i think the big thing I, i actually have been wondering like that graham hancock theory even regardless of if it's true or not, but it's compelling, it's now hitting the mainstream like Netflix and places like that. I think it's kind of breaking the idea that that of progressivism, like, oh, yeah, 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 things always get better. Therefore, we just listen to the politicians because they know what we need to do. We're just gonna follow, because who's talking about a cliff? We can never fall off a cliff. And all of a sudden we have COVID, all of a sudden we have inflation, Mm -hmm. and here's this guy saying that, you know, we had an amazing culture and it went to shit,
2: like, you know, maybe we need to rethink some things. Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. the amnesia is, uh, you don't need to rewind the clock 8,000 years, I mean, amnesia in society happens all the time, like... uh, Like, Austrian Uh, theory, sorry, but like Rahim,
0: for example. Like, he's the last Austrian Austrian economist. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Austria forgot about economics.
2: Yeah, and uh, not only that, but uh, Marxist policies policies get voted in uh, over and over again everywhere, even though they've been, like, debunked for years. And, like, does anyone remember the lockdowns? It seems like there's a a big dose of amnesia going on there. Like, it seems like people for forget so yeah. quickly what yeah what led up to all of these things like and wh- where the where the uh where the enemy is and what the enemy is i think it's part of why i'm like a really
0: big believer in in um um mental health like education and the pursuit of mental health because i think a really huge driver for why people will forget is they just get overwhelmed? They just mm-hmm. cannot control the emotions that come up when they think about what it was like, or what you know, what was impacting their life, or how how things changed. And um, and yeah. uh, and and oftentimes people people go to crazy lengths to avoid feeling ashamed. You know, why did yeah, yeah. you know all the policies that Russia is doing, for example? A lot of it is to protect the national honor and you know prevent. You know, if you think about the 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 humiliation that happened around the first world war and like you know that the the reparation payments and like so it's weirdly like crazy things happen because of simple emotions anyway so it's a, it's a different yeah. rabbit hole but, no,
2: just, but it's very interesting like, yeah the, yeah I, and I think that's uh, you know about this Belgian. Um, psychologist, Mat- Matthias Desmet, I think is oh, his I'm name. Oh, I'm not familiar, no. Uh, yeah, he was. He had a, a, a big rise to fame during COVID. He talked about mice, mass psychosis. Mm. And my, mass for He didn't call it that because it's sort of a triggery word, but mass formation, I think, is the word he used, and how, how humans in a flock behave a certain way. And when when something becomes a virtue signaling mechanism, like following, like I'm doing my part, mm-hmm. the the Starship Troopers thing, like uh, when you've um, so so during during the lockdowns, uh, the the further into to those years we got, the 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 weirder the rules got. And the, the more often they changed. So it became a virtue mechanism to know the, the, the most recent rule and follow that. Yeah, exactly. And I'm playing my part, you know, so, so, and how societies get out of that is like, well, humor plays a big role. Like if you ridicule people for, for doing stuff, then all of a sudden people seem to wake up of it and it just disappears. Like, just like the East, East block here in Europe, it's, it sort of disappeared overnight uh, almost. In comparison to like the Roman Empire. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's a lot to be l- learned from like group psychology in that sense.
0: Yeah, I remember my uh, my parents telling me that they were like celebrating, I think this is 20, hmm, 2020 maybe, I think they were celebrating, they were definitely celebrating um, New Year's Eve and one of their friends had to go home before midnight because there was a curfew. <laughs> like insane, right? They were not allowed to go on the street before midnight, uh, even on New Year's Eve, it's this crazy yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. and like how does it even make sense to have a an out, an outdoor curfew and it's absurd right total yeah, yeah. absurdity yeah yeah and and i guess i need i want to learn more about yeah mob mentality there's a little book that i remember um reading i don't think i read the whole thing but it was fascinating written by boris uh cities or Sidis. he was mm-hmm. the father of william james cities and um and william james was like a, a one of the the, the real famous uh, prodigy children back in the the same time of um, uh, William James, the psychologist, actually, because this William James, the prodigy, was named after the friend of his father, uh, the, the psychologist. So anyway, so Boris Siris was uh, grew up in Russia and uh, he was uh, sent, I believe, either to prison or to the Gulag uh, for three years because he had... Uh, taught some farmers how to read and write, like that was his crime in Russia. Yeah, and uh, and so he then later was a very passionate psychologist, and he wrote about the psychology of the mob because yeah, yeah. he had witnessed it so often, uh, and and just really writing about how how dangerous it is, you know, when people get whipped into a frenzy, yeah. and then you you write that virtual signaling, or it's almost like, and you see it in cults as well, where where it's almost like, you know, the environment is crazy. You know that the, um, somebody is going to pay. There's going to be a punishment. Somebody's going to be made the example. Yeah, yeah. And you want to not be at the bottom. So you want to be the one running away from the bear that's a little yeah, bit yeah, farther yeah. away. And so you just, in North Korea, you see it, right? Where there's somebody dies and everybody's trying their best to cry the hardest. Yeah, yeah. Because the one who cries the least, even if it's already crazy, they're going to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah Insanity. <laughs>
2: absolute insanity. And it was so, wasn't it surreal to witness it in real time? Yeah, it I've was. I've never in it my was. life seen that. And uh, like, it's a reminder that mm. uh, it, it's it's never safe with humans. Like, uh, like we uh, complete craziness can happen at any point. Like, yeah. and it's, it made you, makes you more vigilant and yeah. pick up on these yeah. little cues exactly. faster. Exactly. And, uh, I mm. recently read uh, the White Pill by Michael Malice. Have you oh, heard of it? They, yeah, uh, I haven't read. No, it's about the the Soviet the history of the Soviet Union, basically, and uh, um, in that there there are examples of of people who committed crimes in in um, in late Soviet <laughs> late Soviet era yeah. that that knew that they were innocent, but that willingly went to the Gulags anyway because they wanted to defend the system and like so. So so is it so deeply entrenched into wow. their minds that that the system was the important thing to uphold and wait, they, wait, they, so I, I don't it's, follow so it's they, like ultimate collectivism when you 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 know that you're innocent, yeah, but you play along anyway because the system says so. Because so you so love the crimes, the
0: they, yeah, they, yeah, they're, they're accused, yeah.
2: but they didn't do it, but they just went along with it. Yeah.
0: And 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 it was but they were accused, but could they was it even an option to defend themselves?
2: Uh, yeah okay this is from memory and according yeah, yeah, to the sure. book yeah, but yeah. but there were obvious cases where they could have just said no look at this evidence i didn't do this but it was futile to uh to a certain extent but but still just having a mm. chance of not getting into the gulag yeah, would be right. a, <laughs> but, wow. but yeah, still, really
0: yeah. like it's like you you the, the the frog jumping back in the pot or something yeah 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 wow hmm hmm
1: So what can we do to avoid this complacency, this
0: scenario? We're doing it right now. I, you know, I think this is really important to, you know, just keep, keep um, remembering the past, talking about just universal, immutable principles, trying to, trying to be vigilant there too, where you don't get stuck in being complacent and just assuming, you know, always go back, do the math again, go over the proofs. uh, i I believe a lot in interdisciplinarity. I really believe yeah, yeah. that you know that that we can build bridges between and because in a way, science, in the broadest sense, have has gotten very fragmented because of how everything is subsidized and and yeah. become bureaucratic. And so I think there's this great project where we can build bring things back together uh, in a more unified way. and um and so that, more people can become part of this conversation. Like there were times in history where, like, I mean, the, even the ancient Greeks, like we, now what we find back is like about 1% of the stuff they actually produced with in terms of plays and books and all that. And, and even with that, there's overwhelming evidence that the percentage of intellectuals, the percentage of people who really were very aware and and engaged and and, and just brilliant was incredibly high. And these people didn't have different genetics than we do. So it is possible to just have much more, a much higher percentage of the population get like, alive and activated and then be part of that great discussion. And so, yeah, it's like we got to keep the flame alive, right? Uh, Absolutely. So,
2: yeah, so you heard it from the man. If uh, so, if you want to avoid Armageddon, Mm. don't forget to like, subscribe, (laughs) click the bell for notification, brush your teeth and all that, you know. Exactly. (laughs) Amen.
1: (laughs) The show is also sponsored by Xellox. That's X-E-L-L-O-X. They've developed the excellent Yoki's seed plate kit. The solution against everything life throws at you, including fire, water, corrosion, and pests. The Yoki's package includes three stainless steel plates and a pen-sized electric engraver so you can write your seat on metal just like writing on paper. And they have big plans, they're developing a next-gen hardware wallet too, but for now, you can order the Yoki's to safeguard your keys in a safe and convenient way. Check out Zellox at zellox.io. That's X-E-L-L-O-X dot I-O. And finally, we're also sponsored by BitcoinBook.Shop, your source for Bitcoin books in over a dozen languages, including all of Knut's books. Their mission is to translate great Bitcoin and freedom-oriented books into as many languages as possible, while also publishing original titles to get even more knowledge out there. Use code footprint for 10% off your purchases at BitcoinBook.Shop. Sure. Thanks. I think this. I think this is a well, good spot to uh, maybe uh, tie this one off. But can you tell our our viewers and listeners where they can find you and what you're up to these days? and sure. that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I would say just Google my name, the de Meister. Um It's a bit of a weird name, but um, just do that, and you'll see my Twitter account. And then... we like weird names. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, my last name is four E's in it. Anyway, uh, but so my my company is Adamant Research, A D A M A N T, adamantresearch.com. So if you go there, you'll see an archive of all my um, my reports going back to 2012, and also a link to my latest, which is free. It's called How to Position for the Bitcoin Boom. 20 pages, very dense, and it's literally what I sent to my own friends and family. Yeah.
2: Fantastic. Mm. Tour, thank you very much for a, a very good conversation. Oh, yeah. yeah, and good luck with everything. Thank you. So, what did you think of that episode with Tour?
1: I always enjoy digging into big topics. The importance of avoiding complacency is my biggest takeaway from this one. What was yours? Let us know. You can send us a boostergram on Fountain, leave us a comment on YouTube, or get in touch on Nostr or Twitter. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like the episode and subscribe to the channel. Our show's sponsors are Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill App, The Bitcoin Way, Zellox, and BitcoinBook.shop. Check out their details in the description. That's all for now. See you next time, and thanks for listening.